Street Online. We have two readings this morning. The first one is from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 4, and I'm reading in the ESV. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things are passed away. And our second reading comes from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 26. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day drawing near. Father, we thank you again that you are a great God who has given us your voice, your word. We thank you that you speak as powerfully today through it as you always have. And Lord, for the reminder this morning that um, it's all of you and it's useful and perhaps imperative for building us up, for exhorting us and encouraging us, causing us to love, but also for rebuke, as we were reminded. I pray, Lord, this morning that as believers in you, you would cause us to heed and to change and to be honest about who we are, starting with me, Lord, so that when we leave here today, we would be different, we would be changed a little bit more into the likeness of your beautiful son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Morning, Chapel Street. Morning to those online too, and those that will listen at a later time um, on the podcast. As you can tell, we're back in Hebrews, finally. It's been several months since we were in this glorious book. They're all glorious, but I love Hebrews, as you know, um, it's been 18 months, actually, since we started in Hebrews, and I don't preach every week, so we're getting through it. Chapter 10, we finished this one, and there are three more to go. So we're getting there, and God, God willing, we'll be able to get to the end of it this year. Um, 
It's important that we note that there's a slight change of direction in Hebrews at this point. Up until this point, the writer has been talking about the supremacy, the oneness, the greatness of Jesus Christ, the radiance of the glory of God, the very imprint, the exact imprint of his nature, his mission to be the great high priest, to die, to be the one that brings the sacrifice, and the one who is the sacrifice. And he's explained in detail over and over again how this is the end of the sacrifices. Christ is all in all. He fulfills the law. He upholds and vindicates the righteous honor of his father. And it doesn't need to be happening again. Amen? Now, the writer shifts to saying, in view of those things, now that we know all of those things about Christ, who he is, what he's done, how are you going to live? How are you going to live? How are you going to worship? And we'll go on to talk about faith. The faith is that key, isn't it, that unlocks the door. It's given as a gift. We take it and we live by it. We find out when the Lord does return that it's real, that the hope wasn't fake, that it's true. He's going to talk about how we run with endurance, the race that's set before us, fixing our eyes, you see, not running with drooping hands, not lazy, not idle, not wandering around in the world. He's concerned with how we live. But before we get into the depths of that, he starts with worship. It might not be immediately apparent to, to us, but he starts with how we bring ourselves every day to God and what we do with those things. And our passage in Hebrews has a couple of nice kind of clauses. I love the way uh, that the word works with things like this. It starts with sentences like, since we have, and ends with, let us do certain things. Since we have something, let us do something. We understand that language and that concept. It's a statement, since we have, that demands a response, a result. So I want us to note very quickly what they are, because that's what we're going to cover. If you've got your Bibles, please open them. If you haven't got them, please bring them next time. It's important that you read along and uh, soak in the Word of God. So verse 19, chapter 10 of Hebrews, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, there's a since we have. Verse 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. 24, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. And verse 25, not neglecting to meet together. Two since that since we have and actually four let us is. It might look best like there's three, but 
I'll show you, God willing, there are four. And so to understand the let us do part of this, we need to understand the since we have part of this. It makes perfect sense, at least to me. Hopefully it does to you. Two since we have, and four let us is not four lettuces. Just sounded a bit odd that, but four let us statements. Okay. Okay, well, let's have a look at the two since we have. So first one there in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, so therefore links everything back to what we've just been reminded of. Christ is supreme. His work is absolute. He is the son of God. He is the high priest, etc., etc. Turning sacrifice only need to happen once. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. The thing I want us just to simply note, should be obvious, is that we have confidence. Another word for confidence in the Greek is boldness. We can be bold. We have a firm faith. Con with fideo, faith. There is substance to this stuff that we believe in. And we have a confidence to enter into the holy places. Now, you might immediately say, well, what are the holy places? Are we referring to the Old Testament, um, the Old Covenant? Are we referring to the temple? What, what is this really about? Well, if you read the preceding chapters of Hebrews, you'll know that when the writer talks about these holy places, he's not talking about things made with hands. He's talking about the holy places before God. You might call that the throne room. You might say that's where the judgment seat is. But it's the presence of God. Being in the presence of God. And we're allowed to go in with confidence because of the precious blood of Jesus. Because ultimately his sacrifice does something. So it forgives me for my sins. Yes, it does. If you're in Christ. But it also opens up a way. Did you see that? A new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain that is his flesh. You see, there is an old way, isn't there? There's an old way. It's still here to be brought into the presence of God in the holy places. Do you see? That old way still exists. Yes, in, in Israel, prior to Christ, prior to the ascension, prior to AD 70, just, prior, just after this book was written, they had the Old Covenant. They had the Old Testament sacrificial systems. But ultimately, without faith in Christ, no one could be righteous. And so the old way into the presence of God, into the holy places, was achieved by dying. That's how you enter the presence of God. You pass on from this life into the presence of God, the holy place. As we reminded last week, without Christ, that old way is the way of death. Eternal death. Where there's judgment. 
be honest about it. Let's not shrink back. Where there's a weeping and a gnashing of teeth, we're reminded. Where there's an eternal, unquenchable fire. Where the wrath of God and the fury of God continues eternally. That's the old way. But this way is different. It's new and it's living. It's new because we learned you can cast your minds back quite a while, but it's enacted on better promises. It's the new covenant. And so we can obey and so on. What's also different about it is it's a living way. It's a way that you can go into now and live. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And you only come to God peacefully if you take his way, his son. We're all going to go. We're all going to appear. We're all going to see the majesty on high. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, the King of kings and the Lord of lords to the glory of the Father. It will happen. The blood of Jesus has made it possible for us to go via the new and living way which he opened up. He opened it up, right? It's a lovely image. He talks about a curtain. Now, it's not hard for us to see an allusion here to the Old Testament again, to the Old Covenant, to the sacrificial system in the temple. There is a there is a curtain. It's big, it is wide, and it separates God from the people. And only the high priest can go in and only but once a year. And yet when Christ dies on the cross, what happens to the curtain? He gets torn in two. In two. From top to bottom. There's now a way into that place where God used to be in the temple. He's no longer there. It's figurative. It's a picture of actually entering into the holy places in heaven. But the curtain isn't a curtain made of fabric. It's a curtain that is made of flesh. Think of it. Just think of the, the concept of entering into, walking into the holy places. There's God on the throne. And you enter into it figuratively in Christ. That's what we are. We're found in Christ. We live in Christ. We're baptized into his death. And that's how you go in, covered by him. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. He opened it up through the curtain that is his flesh. So that's the first since we have confidence. And the second one in verse 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. What I want to say there is that, as we've already learned in Hebrews, Jesus is still the high priest. He's not bringing the sacrifice. He's done that work. It's been fulfilled. Doesn't need to be done again. But the point is, he's still the high priest. And as we learned in Hebrews some time ago, Moses was a type of Christ who was in God's house. But here we're told that Jesus is the high priest that's over God's house. It kind of reports to him. It means he has the authority and he continues forever and ever. There is no change. There is no break. He doesn't take time off. He is interceding continually. 
Hebrews tells us that the former priests, those ones in the old covenant, were many in number. Why? Because they all died. When one of them died, you needed another one. Were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But Jesus holds his priesthood permanently. Isn't that beautiful? I'm the high priest. I'm always the high priest. Why? Because he continues forever, the text says, since Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. Isn't that beautiful? He's there right now, interceding for us. And when we pass through the opening that is his flesh, we will see him completely. I just love the imagery of this. So we have confidence to enter the holy place. And we have a high priest that continues over the house of God. And since we have those, we move to our let us statements. So verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having or with our hearts sprinkled from sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Since we have confidence, since we have a high priest over the house of God, draw near. Let's draw near. We can draw near. You know, the word for draw near is literally approach. <laughs> approach the throne. In the medieval period, I wasn't there, but I gather that the system for approaching the king was quite tricky. You had to make an appeal and a petition to the court. Of course, if you were like me, a peasant, that wouldn't have happened. But presumably, if you're a noble person, whatever that is, you might get a little bit further. And eventually, when you're in the court, you'd make petition to all the nobles. And one of them would say, right, let's take this to the king. And you'd enter the king's court. But you couldn't approach. You had to stand at the back and wait. And somebody would, and this is the word, vouch for you. They would go up before you, between you and the king, and say, Sam, the peasant, <laughs> has something to bring to you, sire, majesty. Will you hear him? And if he wanted to hear you, he would say, let him approach. Let him draw near. Since we have confidence, let's draw near. To be saying. Let's get in to this holy place with a true heart. Right? What's the opposite of a true heart? <laughs> Not hard, is it? A lying heart. What does a true heart mean? Well, to go in honest about who you are, sincere about who you are. You're not a king. I'm not a king. We're not princes. We have no status like that. And even if we did, it wouldn't be worth much. So let's go in honestly about who we are. I'm just a wretched sinner, but I claim Christ. I claim that confidence to enter because his veil, the flesh, has opened up and he's let me in to the Holy of Holies. Let us draw near with a true heart. Be honest. You can't approach God without lying. It's just ridiculous. You're not approaching him at all. In full assurance 
of faith. See, I think that the problem with that verse there, that part of the verse, is often we think it's about having more faith, you know, trying harder. I will have full assurance of faith and I will enter the courts of the king, the holy places. But actually it's not that. It's saying, go on. You can have assurance in faith. Trust him. It's not up to you. See, faith isn't our work. It's the work of God working in us to trust him. That's what it is. Full assurance, knowing that as you enter in, Jesus' blood is enough. <laughs> the high priest is there interceding. He's finished the work. And so go boldly, go with con confidence. Go near. As I was preparing this message, I'm reminded of a, an event that happened to me, I reckon, when I was about seven years old and my family lived in London. And as is the tradition, you know, at Christmas, you go shopping in London, you go to Regent Street and Oxford Street. And it always ended with this opportunity to go and meet Santa or Father Christmas as he used to be called. This isn't the father of Christmas, but you get the idea. And I think it was in Hamley's, the famous toy shop. There'd be a long queue of kids and you'd eventually wend your way to this grotto. Great name for a cave, isn't it? Grotto. And there'd be this curtain and there'd be this mature adult dressed as an elf, which always was ridiculous to me. And at seven, I always was intrigued, as you would be about this, and you get nearer and nearer and nearer. And when the curtain was pulled back, a kid would go in. So the kid got in to see Santa. And as you got nearer, you'd see a little bit more of what was in there. Curtain pulled back. And a big fat guy sitting on a chair with a grip. What's going on? Right, you get a bit nearer. It starts to get a little bit scary. Is that a reindeer? What's he doing there? What is this all about? I don't know about you, but with me, I can remember fear would come a across me, not least because I noticed the kids were all going in, but they didn't seem to be coming out again, right? I mean, there was a door at the back, and the parents would go around, but I didn't know that. It was kind of scary. And so as you got nearer and nearer, you knew that when you went in, the question was going to be asked, have you been a good little boy? The answer is obvious. <laughs> not really. I knew that the only way to go through and get through that was one of two options. One was I'd lie, nothing sincere about a heart that lies, or I'd be honest and truthful, and Santa would say that's okay. But on that particular day, I had a loss of confidence. I had an evil conscience. And I refused to go in. I can remember it because my mother was furious. It must have cost some money to go in and meet Santa. But we can draw near with a full, true heart. We can approach the throne of grace with assurance because our hearts have been sprinkled clean. That's an, that's an image of, of uh, the high priest going into the Holy of Holies and sprinkling blood to make the nations clean for the, the sin. And our bodies washed with pure water. It's not a great analogy to think of Santa, but you get that idea, right? Something about entering in and losing confidence. But not us. We do have confidence. 
we do have that opportunity to draw near because of the since we have, since we have. Okay, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. I love the language, the old English, hold fast. You know, you've got the image of just hanging on. And literally, that's what it means. Hang on to what you said you believed about Christ, assuming that's true, and hang on to him. Hold fast the confession, the thing you said and say about who Christ is, because in that is hope. And one day Christ will be revealed and we will know it fully. So hang on to it because we've got confidence to enter in. Christ is, is the high priest over the house. So hang on to what you believe. Why? Because as again, we were reminded this morning, I love the way the Lord always does this here. The words and verses come together. Trials and tribulations are coming. People will fall away. You might fall away and find out that you're not a Christian, but it's coming. So hang on to your confession. Hold tight to it. Because God will do what he said. God is faithful. He doesn't make false promises. Everything he says will or has come true. We heard from the beginning of Thessalonians earlier on, but the end of it, Paul gives a benediction and he says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and will do it. Amen. Oh, it's so good to know that he's faithful. Paul says elsewhere, when we are faithless, he's faithful. When we're not holding fast, he carries on. He's the high priest over the house. So hold fast. You might be tempted not to hold fast. You might be tempted to deny who Christ is. Hang on. And our third and let us is 24, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, or in other texts, good deeds. I, again, just love the language that the writers used here, stir up. I had a good look at this in the Greek, thinking, well, what else does it mean? You know what it means? Stir up. <laughs> That's basically what it means. Wake up. That's what you do with someone that is asleep, right? I remember one time I was in a taxi from the CBD of Sydney on my way to the airport. It's an early morning uh, flight and the gentleman driving the taxi, I could see his face in the mirror and his eyes were doing this and closing slowly. And he was starting to glance in and out of the lane. Well, what do you think I did? I stirred him up, right? When people are asleep, by the way, and they start to wake up, we sometimes use the saying that they're starting to stir. If I fall asleep in the afternoon, which embarrassingly seems to happen more and more these days, and Sandy needs to wake me up, she'll lightly come over and say, Sam, Sam, Sam. And if I don't respond, she'll give me a little shake. And if I don't respond, she'll give me a big shake. But she'll stir me up. It's a great image. 
And that's what we are meant to do with one another. Maybe you're sleeping. I don't mean physically, although some of you probably will in a moment. Right? But I mean spiritually. Are you sleeping? You're drifting around. You're not really attuned and in connection with Christ and in connection with his word and have it affecting your life. Maybe you're just wandering around. Well, we're here to stir one another up. Not just to wake one another, but to say, hey, you're meant to love people. A drifting, a dreaming, you becoming lazy or idle. We need to be out here loving people. We need to be doing good works. But we need to be a bit innovative. Did you notice the word there? Consider. Consider. Let us consider. Let's think about this, right? Let's ponder this. Let's not just forget about it. We need to actually think about waking one another up. And I know I'm always accused of quoting very similar or the same quotes, but one of my favorite quotes is faithful are the wounds of a friend. Deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. A faithful friend will wound you. They will say, hey, I'm stirring you up. You're not loving. You're indulging in the wrong things or you're becoming lazy. We need to be doing good works. We need to think about how to do that. We need to reflect to give it some thought. And it's not just to stir one another up, is it? To stir one another up is just to irritate one another, frankly. It's to stir us up so that we love and do good deeds. There's an outcome uh, for it and in it. Well, that's three out of the four. And you might look at the text now and say, well, there isn't a fourth one, but there actually is. It stems, there's only a, a comma, there's not a full stop between 24 and 25. So I'll read it for inflection. And let us consider, verse 24, how to stir up one another to love and good works. And let us consider to not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. The let us is there by implication. And if this feels like a rebuke to you, then it's probably a rebuke. But please don't blame me. Consider the text. It's a rebuke to me. Literally, the writer means keep coming to church. Keep meeting together. Don't give up on being a church. You can't exist without the body of Christ. You will wane and fall apart. You will. You know, sometimes we use the language of so-and-so is a churchgoer. You know, it's a very negative kind of thing. It means uh, so-and-so is just a churchgoer. It just means they go to church to look good or to do good things because it makes them look good. But I tell you what, I'd rather that we had a church full of people that go and hear the word of God than people that think it's okay not to go. A church is not a part-time thing. Church is an absolutely solid, full-time call and commitment. It 
It's not subject to a better offer. Apart from your love of God outside of church, your prayer life outside of church, your Bible reading outside of church, your loving your neighbor as yourself outside of church, apart from those things which happen outside the church and some in the church, I want you to get this. There is no higher priority for us than to be at church. There is no excuse, if we're well, to not be at church. I was really encouraged hearing Dave uh, talking about uh, the model that they're going to um, enter into at St. Pete's to go in the morning so Declan can have um, Sunday school with peers and grow up Christian kids and learn. But also as a family, <laughs> they want to go to church in the evening because they're a family. And guess what? So are we. That's what this is. The family of God, the house of God. There's nothing more important than coming to church, except for those things. Now, I know that there are scenarios where people cannot come to church. I know that. Don't get me wrong. I understand that we get sick, we go to hospital, things happen. But if that's not the case, then this is where we need to be on a Sunday. Ah, yes, but it's the grand final of the World Cup of Rugby. Not good enough. Not good enough. It's happening. People are doing those things instead of coming to church. You're the church. It's not this building. It's us. We are it. And in this church, it's quite small. <laughs> Others, it can be bigger. If I don't turn up, that's a part of the church that's not turned up. If you don't turn up, it's the same deal. There are no excuses. I thought it'd be good just to give you 10 quick, very quick biblical reasons for coming to church. I'll run through them rapidly. The first one, you're commanded to. That's a good, you've got to obey, right? You're commanded to come. You might say, well, where's that? Well, guess what? It's right here. Let us. Since we have confidence, right? You recognize you, you, your, your salvation is not cheap. It was bought with a price, right? So that you, that veil being open, that came at a cost. The Son of God. And here we're commanded. If that wasn't true, then the let us wouldn't be important. You might think, well, that's pretty weak. Well, have you read the Ten Commandments? Check out number four. This is the Sabbath. Did you know that? The early church, the apostles, they met on this day. They came together as a congregation, did all the things we're doing. It's nothing unique or unusual. It's what we're commanded to do. It's there in the word. Point number two, come to church because it will grow your faith. It will grow your faith. The preaching of the word, singing, reading hymns that are good theologically, praying, they're designed to teach us how to grow. Anyone here struggling with growth as a Christian? Raise your hand. Well, you came to the right place. <laughs> this is where we grow. Warts and all. Our weaknesses and our strengths, our gifts. This is where we grow. We're created for corporate worship. That's another reason. We're created to do this. Now, I ain't much of a singer. My wife is quite different, and I feel like 
did well there, but she didn't do quite so well. I'm a bit of a croaky singer. I like to think I'm an Elvis, but that isn't true. I can't think of anyone that's worse than me. But I tell you what, I love hearing the saints sing. And we're opening our hearts and our minds and our breathing out tunes. Isn't that a beautiful concept? God invented that. Breathing out praise to God. We're created for corporate worship. We're created to come into the church and show gratitude to God. We're created to come into the church in corporate worship, show gratitude to God, and to develop in our relationship. We're designed to be in community. We're designed to be in relationship. And again, I know some people find that easier than others. I know. But I'd say persevere. Another reason to come to church is to serve in the church. There are jobs to be done here. There are lots of jobs to be done, not just working bees. There are tons of jobs at that, which were great. And it was good to see us do that. Someone has to prepare communion. Someone has to prepare messages. Someone has to prepare leading. Someone has to hoover. Someone has to mow lawns. Someone has to get out there and teach one another to preach or, or teach one another to evangelize. Like There's work to be done. And we come into the church to serve, not to just sit. We're all here. We, we're all serving, right? It's not the job of the preacher to do all the work. And we don't have a pastor here, but if we did, it wouldn't be that person, that man's job to do all the work. And the word's very clear about that. These things are given, teaching, evangelism, etc., for the training and equipping of the church for works of ministry. To serve others, to support missionaries, to give financially, those things should all be connected. It's a place to pray and to be prayed for as we've done this morning. That's a church. A church is a place to spend time together as a family. I love that once a month we do that beyond the service. We go and have our lunch next door. And from our text today, it's the place where we come to encourage one another. You know, I hate to take an American, um, I think 1950s, I'll check with Heidi later, um, idiom saying and twist it a little bit but don't ask what your church can do for you ask what your you can do for your church come and say oh, i want to go and be encouraged that's good i get that and hopefully you will be but what about coming to encourage someone else what about next sunday when you drive here or you drive to to st pete's you say to yourself right who can i encourage today lord how can i encourage them and what can i encourage them in here it says, love and good deeds. Encouraging people is so, so important. And guess what? If you're not here, you can't be encouraged. That's the reason. Not by the church. And you can't encourage. So, I think you get the idea. The strongest word in this is the word neglecting. It literally means to desert. You neglect the church, you neglect Christ. We are the body of Christ. So please, 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 in view of the confidence that we have, in view of the high priest that reigns, come to church, grow, 
because there's a sting in the tail of this text for us. And I find it quite scary. Dave, by God's grace, has already brought part of that to us this morning. Oh, just a word about Zoom before I get there. Um, Zoom is great, and uh, I'm glad that we have it. But don't let it be an excuse for not coming to church. There are people on Zoom that are sick and infirm, and that's wonderful. But I will say, and I know they'll agree with me, if you're on Zoom at church, it's not the same as being here. It's hard to encourage people that you're not with. So if you're using Zoom as an excuse uh, not to come to church, but by kind of saying that you are coming to church, please don't do that. Don't neglect it. Right, the sting in the tail. Encourage one another. Then it says this, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, that's the problem. The church is emptying. That's what's happening. Some faster than others, some are growing. But the day is drawing near. In our study last week in Romans, uh, on Thursday night, we looked at that problem of salvation is nearer than it's ever been before. Paul was writing that around AD 60. This is now 2024. So clearly the day is even nearer. Come to church, encourage one another, all the more. There's an urgency, there's almost there's an emergency to this because Christ is coming. He's coming. That's the day. It's a capital D. That's why it's made a capital D in the English. It's the day that Christ is returning. When else we'll see our hope manifested in the person of Jesus Christ. When he comes to slay the nations, don't miss this. This is a big day. There ain't no other day in, in history like it. It's a singular event, the coming of second coming of Christ. Tribulation is coming. You and I will be hated because we believe in the name of Jesus or put to death. That's happening in other countries now. Don't think it can't happen here. Don't be complacent about that. People will fall away from the church. They will give in to their confidence. They will say, well, actually, I've got no confidence in this. Now, the world tastes better. It looks better. Uh, as a Christian, I'm going to get persecuted. All those that desire to lead a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, shall suffer. That day is coming. And so I want to encourage you as we close. Endure. Endure. Here's some text. The Lord Jesus himself says in Matthew, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are just the beginning of the birth pangs. And then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another and because lawlessness will be increased the love of many will grow cold but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Apostle Paul says at the end of Second Timothy that he's being poured out like a drink offering. 
The time of his departure, his death is near. He gets it. But then he says this, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. You hear that confession of the faith? I kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give, will award to me on that day, not only for me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Yes, to end this, I have to ask a question. Do you have a confidence? Is your confidence in yourself or your church attendance or your interest in other things in the world? Or is your confidence found in another who can be or is the one that fulfills the law, dies for your sin, is the veil of the flesh you're going to walk through, is the son of the living God? Where is your confidence? Friends, come to church. Draw near to God in your private life, here now with me. You come to communion next week, because you'll all be here next week, right? Except for Dave and Barney. <laughs> right? You'll all be here next week. Guests are exempted. But when you come to the throne of grace, figuratively, right? There's a spiritual reality behind communion. Enter in, approach, draw near, because you have a confidence. Hold fast to your confession of hope. Sometimes, honestly, we just have to say to ourselves, Lord, I believe, but I want more help to believe. Help me with my unbelief. I really want to believe. I want to fight sin. I do want to confess you. What's he going to do? Deny you that? Crazy. Learn, friends, how to stir up one another. I've been trying to do that today. The love and good deeds. Hold fast your confession. Because if you have all of those things, you can boldly approach the throne of grace. Bold, I approach the throne of grace. Is that how it goes? Claim the crown of Christ, my own. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain that is and since we have a great high priest over the house of God let's draw near let's have true hearts full assurance let's hold fast our confession without wavering let's consider how we can stir up one another to love and good works and let's not neglect let's not desert one another and Christ all God's people said Amen Father in heaven uh, again I thank you so much for the power of your word, for the way that it does grow us, equip us, train us, rebuke us, correct us, admonish us. And Lord, if we're honest, we don't like it. But we do know, Lord, that it's good for us. And so I pray, Lord, that you would make us a people that do all of those things, that do draw near, that do hold fast to our confession. Stir us up, Lord, so that we might stir one another up. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.